we travel, we get to know people who are different than we are. We hear a different perspective and we better understand others' stories. The world becomes a smaller place and we learn to stand with people instead of having opinions on issues. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. This week, we're traveling to Indonesia with Jenny Lee, who's vulnerably trusting us with her story. I have to warn you though, in this episode, we're gonna talk about oppressive environments, especially religiously oppressive. We're gonna talk about the objectification of women and we're gonna talk about abortion. Yes, we are gonna go there. If these would not be good things for you to hear right now, maybe check out episode 93, where Brittany Simmons talks about women in leadership. Or maybe episode 92, where we also travel to Indonesia and this time hear from Janet about what it was like to raise and have a family abroad. Wherever you are, know that Have Hope Will Travel supports you and that there is an episode that is safe for you, even if it's not this one. All right, let's bring in Jenny. Welcome to Have Hope Will Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. I'm here with a new friend today. Her name is Jenny Lee. She grew up in Indonesia. Um, she now lives in the United States. We were actually just talking. We've both lived in Wisconsin. She lives in Connecticut now. Um, she's got a, a hard story, a unique perspective that I'm really excited to get to hear more about. So Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Yay, fellow Midwestern. Here we are. Here we are. So thank you so much for being willing to share your story. I know that this is a hard story to share, and I know that um, we've already talked, and you've talked about the shame with your story. And so thank you so much for trusting us with it. I know that's not something that you do lightly, and so I just want to start off by saying thank you. Thank Well, you are very welcome, and thank you for listening. And I feel um, this is a very important part of humanity that I think I should share, uh, especially for fellow women um, and with the reproductive rights debate around the country, which, like, I can't believe is happening. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I could definitely contribute from a different perspective, having lived in another country Mm-hmm. where um, there's a lot of sexual shame and abortion. Wow. Um, that is, I can't even, like, you know, it's it's like beyond um, being prohibited. It's beyond taboo. Sure. Um, like for a woman there, um, it's very dishonorable mm-hmm. um, to have, to have some kind of sexual intercourse outside the marriage Mm -hmm. and then they get pregnant and then like they would have to have an abortion um there's a label for women like that in the country you know it's either whatever damaged goods or you know all kinds of objectification um but yeah we can get you know get through um more of that the process that I had to go through because abortion is illegal in Indonesia mm-hmm. um and I would be uh intrigued how I articulate that yeah <laughs> I am too so let's start a little bit earlier in the story so you were living in Indonesia tell us a little bit about what that environment was like for you growing up and then I don't know what how old you were when you left I grew up there um so Indonesia is a mostly Muslim populated on uh, 90% or so. Um, but I was also raised in a conservative Chinese family. Um, and I also went to Catholic church and Catholic school. Okay. So you could imagine the kind of oppression, pressure, and expectation that fall on the women in that environment um, within um the outer environment outside my family, the Indonesia, um, the okay, I, I I was raised in Jakarta, so it's like you no know, around the neighborhood. Like I would be slut shamed if I walk out in shorts or in tank tops. Like although it's like super hot over there, right? But I show too much skin, I would have to cover my skin if I don't want to be sexually harassed. Oh, but no, not really. Like I would be walking home with my Catholic school uniform out and I would still be sexually harassed Wow! yeah as a middle schooler and a high schooler on a daily basis right so that's the environment um then uh in the Chinese um the conservative Chinese family I had my life mapped out I was supposed to go to school not have any contact with any boys 
until maybe later when I'm at a marriageable age. <laughs> um, I was supposed to go to school, maybe get a job if I'm lucky. But if not, I would be married off to hopefully, you know, some boy from a good family, well-off family. Uh, that was the expectations that my family had for me. Um, and then, of course, the Catholic Church, the Catholic school. Um, well, and actually, I would talk about the the punishing nature, right, of my family and then the Catholic school. They mm. practice uh, corporal punishment, and, and that's just like the normal that's like the way of living for them like in order for for them to control um the ones who are supposed to perpetuate the culture um or instill what they call respect right quote respect but it's actually just fear is to is by beating them up wow. yeah that's just like crazy um and then the Catholic Church, of course, you know, like in all kinds of shaming and what women should be. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, like, you know, for me, um, being a girl, there was so many restrictions and my self-expression was constricted and suppressed. Right. I would be punished if I climbed the gate because I just want to see what's going on outside and I shouldn't and I would bring shame to the family if I climbed a tree <laughs> and I really shouldn't be riding a bike because I could hurt my hymen and I could be non-marriageable <laughs> yeah it's that kind of environment yeah. and um it was yeah I would say um not a conducive environment to be myself because the slightest self-expression, I would be pushed back to the box or be beaten back to the box of conformity. Yeah. Um, so that's how I would describe how I grew up. Mm -hmm. So then what changed? How did you break out of that? Uh, I, I don't think I ever really broke out of it. It was more just like power struggle the whole time I was there. <laughs> a lot of a lot of fights with my parents. Um, and I would deal with the sexual harassment on a daily basis. Um, and I would fight back. Um, yeah, it was just a lot of angry days for me. Um, when I f when I felt like I was objectified, I would talk back uh, to like you know whoever was objectifying me. And when I felt like I was constricted, when I could start talking back, right, um, late teenagers and early twenties. Um, so it was not easy. Um, I had a lot of fights and struggles with my parents, and at some point I stopped going to church. Um, yeah, that caused a lot of turmoil too <laughs> because I was such a sinner <laughs> sure. and they didn't want me to go to hell <laughs> uh yeah and I think I was able to minimize my contact with them by um just getting busy at work um so I finished hi high school and then I went to college and I was recruited uh, for a teaching job at my second semester. So I was 19 and I got a job and I would work maybe 12 hours a day. Wow. Um, yeah, pretty much. Like, I, uh, And that's, I think, what helped me, kept me busy and it made me forget mm. how oppressive things were for sure. me. Um, and sometimes I would wonder because that, that was all I knew, right. Growing up and, um, I was really unhappy, but then I also knew that like, you know, from my understanding, um, you know, the limited horizon, you know, at that point, like, you know, maybe this is what life is supposed to be like, mm -hmm. you know, just me like struggling and all that. And then at some point, I um, got a job in Thailand, okay. and that changed things for me. <laughs> um, and so 
for the first time, I actually was in a place uh, where I felt like I wasn't being judged. I, I got a teaching job and like, you know, the ties are just really gentle people. They're very welcoming to foreigners. Yeah. Um, but because I look like them, mm. you know, they would smile at me. They would kind of accept me, you know, as one of them, although I don't speak their language. Sure. Um, and, but, you know, I was always respectful and I always appreciated them. And I always thought that they're so sweet and accommodating. And so I had a really good time there. And I think that was, um, when life uh, became less stressful. Um, and that was probably the first time that I had a more regulated nervous system, like among yeah. these calm people mm-hmm. <laughs> in that Thailand. Yeah. Yeah. So, so if that answers the Indonesia question. to Thailand. How long were you in Thailand? About four years. Four years. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I did a lot of beach trips. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was should. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. And then did you go back to Indonesia or where did you go after that? Um, after that I went to Wisconsin okay. for grad school. Yeah. Yeah, and I was there for about three years until um I got pregnant. Uh-huh. And then I moved to Connecticut because my ex husband's family is from Connecticut and it only made sense for sure. us to deliver the baby in Connecticut and we had some family support. Good. That helps. I'm glad you have that family support. Yeah. Got it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't your first pregnancy, correct? That was that was not my first pregnancy. My first pregnancy when I was um 19. Okay. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that was um with my very first boyfriend, a Chinese boy. Um from a well-off family. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting um, because um, I guess like, you know, looking back now, um, like, of course I wouldn't have dated him <laughs> knowing what I know now. Sure. Um, but it was our first sexual experience. Right. And now here's the thing too. Like I, because sex, there's so much shame around sex. We never talked about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we would probably get some, you know, like shallow sex education when we're in middle school and high school. But who pays attention, really? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, that was that was interesting. And there's like, you know, all of these um, weird terms and like, you know, whatever. But, you know, like none of that really registered. Um, okay, I guess if you have sex, you can get pregnant. That was like the idea. And so we knew, um, at that point, like, you know, to be a little careful, um, I guess not careful enough, right? Because, um, oh, wow, I'm late. Um, let's go have it checked. And it turned out to be positive. And so when we found out it was, um, a lot of wow, trepidation, I guess, like, you know, I would say a lot of fear there, a lot of shame there. Um, And honestly, my thought that time was like, wow, I would rather die than my, than, you know, if my parents found out about me getting pregnant. Um, And it was, um, yeah, a couple of weeks of, you know, fear, like, you know, struggling with, you know, all of this, all of these heavy emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, well, especially because abortion is uh, illegal there. And there's like, you know, kind of um, underground operations and all that. But mm-hmm. that's the thing. When mm-hmm. it's illegal, there's no protection. Yeah. And if something goes wrong um you can't turn to anybody Mm. right um and so I was really scared and traumatized that time and I think uh that time that the um the boyfriend was just like okay I'll leave it to you to find out I'll leave it to you to you know find the best solution you know pretty much and yeah he he was an asshole um but it didn't matter to my parents because he's from a well-off family and like Mm. I was supposed to marry him, (laughs) you know, like that was like, you know, their perspective. And I got in touch with, um, so I was like, you know, asking from one, um, 
okay, so I, I guess I was lucky to be well connected um, to the popular girls in college. And there's one girl who is well connected and, you know, resourceful. And so she gave me a couple of addresses to visit and find out more. And then I found one. Um, So he's supposed to be like the gynecologist, but then he also does the underground um, operation. And it was just all really fishy, Mm -hmm. really scary. Um, And I had to lie to my parents. Oh, um, I'm going to now go shopping or whatever. And, um, yeah, so it was me. Um, and so like when I found that doctor, Mm -hmm. I told my ex-boyfriend that time and then he was like, okay, uh, so I'm glad you found a doctor, but you know, you you might want to stop, you know, being so dependent on me about this. Like, you know, can you, can you go with your friend or something like, you know, to do that? It's like, yeah. Right. So yeah, that is like, you know, one thing that a lot of um, women, you know, and girls, right? It's like, you know, when they're in that position, mm-hmm. uh, they're really dependent on the mercy of the closest people around them. Sure. You know, at least that's how I was brought up, right? Um, I mean, after a lot of arguments, um, he finally gave in and he took me to practice yeah. And even then, wow, um, there was all kinds of like, you know, people trying to scam us because we didn't know who to go, who, who we were supposed to go to. Yeah. And then we called and then we were like, oh, OK, some people are trying to like, you know, sidetrack you, but you need to go back to the office, you know, which address we gave you. <laughs> so like we went back there um, and then the thing, too, because it's illegal. And all these underground operations are around, and and you have like in all of these, um, I don't know what you call that, um, you know, it's like now people are trying to take you know take advantage, yeah. right, um, of your situation by um, like sending you to maybe like in another practitioner or like you know whatever, and so it was just like a lot of dishonesty and a lot of fishiness around the process. Yeah. Um, and finally I got on the operating table, (laughs) you know, whatever table that was, um, yeah, they put, you know, um, you know, this, whatever pipe probably like, you know, over, uh, my face and over my nose. And, um, that was it. I like, I was out and it was all over. Mm -hmm. Um, and it turned out to be a very smooth operation (laughs) um it was you know it was pretty much over um and my ex-boyfriend was with me that time and so okay you know we just kind of like went back to our lives um and I was supposed to go back there to um you know like uh to kind of um follow up and see like you know whatever um but uh it was all clean and there was nothing wrong uh with me that was like you know everything went smoothly I have heard horror stories about that and I think the only thing that was like lifted off me was ah okay like Mm. it's um it's the shame that kind of like lifted right it's the fear that was lifted it everything just like, you know, felt so, so much lighter and there was so much relief. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that was, um, pretty much the process, but then, you know, there's also this awareness that I was breaking the law and, you know, and I was doing, you know, what is considered, um, taboo and shameful for the culture, for the yeah. family, <laughs> for the religion <laughs> and for, you know, for the society, yeah. but who cares like I did not want to have that child yeah wow thank you for sharing that with us you're so welcome <laughs> but you're right I, I had nobody to even talk about that with yeah. um, I think sometimes I would like oh wow 
um at this time of the year he would he would have been like 18 you know at this time he would have been maybe 22 or whatever right um but I never really felt like anybody would have understood that um and yeah and for a long time because of the shame I never really talked about it yeah yeah is it something that you can talk about more openly now or not really Oh yeah, absolutely. Because I I just don't find that to be shame anymore. You know, like I'm owning that. Yeah. You know, and I had to do that. I had to do what I had to do. Um, I was 19, and like, what would have happened if I had decided to keep the child, like, marrying this asshole? Sure. <laughs> right? <laughs> absolutely not. Because that would have been um the step that my parents um would have taken um okay you're going to marry the father of the child like oh wow um I I guess I wouldn't have been alive like I would have killed myself like you know long before and so yeah I mean in the uh, in the whole process although my ex-boyfriend was there he was not present like so I felt alone Mm. you know it's Mm. like wow like you know law breaking the shame like the fear and like mm, no nobody really um I guess you know kind of understood what was going on especially from that culture but um yeah I'm I'm happy at this point to be owning that story Mm. so how have you found freedom from that shame um it took time I think it took me a few years really like just a few years ago when I felt like I I did what I had to do and I had to rethink if the shame is really um, from me personally, if it came from me or was it conditioned, was it instilled by my culture and the religion? Yeah. Right. Because yeah, of course, um, my mother at some point did find some papers that documented my visit and she was like you did you have an abortion like no this is the address I can because um in Jakarta in Indonesia like a place that is infamous for the procedures you know it's Mm -hmm. concentrated and so she kind of guessed it uh no I was just visiting a gynecologist (laughs) whatever that was maybe she knew maybe she knew that I was lying but whatever that was um but that was just like I would rather die you know (laughs) than if she knew and I mean it's just like in all this fear of judgment right um and finally um just recently when I started learning about self-acceptance, mm-hmm. I accepted everything that I've done that has made me who I am right now, mm. including the abortion. Yeah. I had to do what I did or I wouldn't have been here right now where I am. Mm-hmm. And I love where I am. Yeah. Right. And it was it would have been stupid for me to have, you know, to have kept the baby and go on with the tradition and like where would I be like caged by the fear and the judgment um I I I could not live like that I in a way I had to free myself and I am proud of myself for uh choosing the freedom Mm. you know um and so that helped me with accepting um that story yeah and um, it taught me to be more careful. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there, there's no shame in it anymore, really. Um, That's beautiful yeah, feeling. If anything, I'm proud of it. Wow. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that, because I'm always curious, like, how do people heal from whatever hard experience they have, especially um, yours is obviously very hard, but any hard experience, like how do people move forward and what does that journey look like? And then I love hearing that you got to a point where you're not shamed by it and even that you are proud of it. Like that, it's cool to think about like how that has made you who you are and how it has shaped who you've become in a positive light. Yeah. Um, 
I guess at that point, I just had to do what was intuitive. Yeah. Right? And, um, and I'm glad that I did um, because, like, I was a kid. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was alone. I was pressured. Mm-hmm. Um, but I chose to do what I thought was right for myself. And mm. I think that's the, the biggest thing that I'm proud of. I yeah. chose me yeah. instead of the approval of society. Yeah. So. That's a good point. And I think that's something we can all learn from because I think we're all pressured from society and different things. Mm. Using what's going to be right for us versus what society says is right for us. Exactly. Thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> How has it affected you being a mother now? Well, I don't think the abortion had anything, you know, I don't think it had any effects on my being a mother now, really. Um, my child um, is now, like, you know, he's he's a beautiful boy. He's a nine-year-old. Yeah. Um, and it was an easy delivery. I had a C-section. Um, it, it, was, it just went smoothly. And he had so much hair and so loud and big, with big personality. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't think he was, you know, affected in any way. Um, and I don't think any abortions, um, have any effects for the, you know, like in the next Mm -hmm. pregnancy, especially because it's like so far apart. I was 19 then, uh, when I was pregnant with him, I was, um, 34, uh, yeah, and he's like super smart, super healthy, and um, yeah, uh, I, I think what really affects me is the way I was um, shaped as a woman in the culture, you know, all the pressure, uh, expectations of what I should be as a woman, like, you know, I, I'm a mother, and I'm supposed to also be the housekeeper, the cook, you know, the teacher, <laughs> and <Yeah>. the cleaner, <laughs> yep. Um. And at some point, I had to go back to labor, right? I mean, um, like, you know, the workforce. And yeah. Um, I, yeah, I went back to being a teacher mm-hmm. um, and still had to look so pretty, you know, a pretty sure. wife for my ex-husband that time. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was just not sustainable mm. um, because it was really eating up my um, emotional health. Sure. And uh, at some point, it crumbled because I fell into depression Mm. you know all I wanted to do was just hide and whenever I could whenever I wasn't working I just wanted to you know hide in a hole and sleep (laughs) um but yeah at some point I just had to heal right I mean um that didn't come until the divorce (laughs) I got a divorce because all of my relationships were um pretty much destroyed uh, with my state, my unhealthy emotional state. I was uh, very confrontational and happy and uh, so easily triggered. And I, I don't think my ex-husband, you know, could stand me. Mm-hmm. And I was not emotionally available for my child. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was such a mess. And yeah. so I got a divorce. Uh-huh. And finally, I got to spend time with myself because we had mm-hmm. split custody. Sure. And I had like a few days for myself, which I didn't know what to do at first. <laughs> it's like, oh, I didn't have to take care of anybody. It's like, right. oh, what am I going to do with myself here? <laughs> yeah. um, but that was the time when I started reconnecting with myself mm. and, you know, actually ask myself what really makes me happy. Yeah. Um, because I hated my job. I hated everything about my life. And I, I was suicidal um but by spending time with myself i got to sit with my emotions um and heal it mm. and just allow myself to to immerse in whatever uh traumatized me sure. and accept it wow. and i think that's really what helped heal me Mm-hmm. accepting all the trauma all the wounds all the ugly stuff and the yeah. shame um and process that mm-hmm. and until I got to this understanding that you know 
there's really nothing to be ashamed of, mm. right? It's like, you know, I finally got to, uh, you know, got to um, a new level of this personhood that sees things from a higher level. Sure. Um, and yeah, of course, they, of course, my parents treated me the way that they did, you know, they raised me the way that they did. And like, you know, the way that I was raised in this environment and all that, like these people did not know better. Mm. And I just happened to be born there. Yeah. But without, but if I hadn't been born there, I wouldn't have aspired to be where I am now, where I am appreciated by, um, I mean, where I'm appreciated for being who I am sure. instead of, you know, conditionally, yeah. um, like loved, right. It's, and it's right. not even love, right. It's more like, all right, I'll give you some love if you do this, if you do that. Um, and I was more like a robot, um, mm. you know, conditioned robot rather than, a person with my whole personhood and personality in yeah. my whole expression. And that was the biggest understanding that I obtained mm-hmm. by spending time with myself wow. away from after I got a divorce, <laughs> because when I was still in the marriage, I was still in the system. Mm. I was still going through, I was still living the life that was expected of me that was not aligned with my true self. Mm. And so once I got out of it, um, it was an ugly transition. Sure. But still, that was so necessary because that made me reconnect with who I really am. Mm. Yeah. What advice do you have for someone who feels like they're stuck in a tradition or a system or a, a shameful environment that's not working for them and they want the healing that you're talking about? get out of there (laughs) (laughs) I mean that's what I did right (laughs) I mean um I think so this is really interesting um there was this talk I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Bruce Lipton was talking about all these different cells Mm -hmm. um all identical like you know similar structure and everything But, but then like they're put in different environments Right. So there's one with like, you know, different maybe temperature. And then there's, you know, this one that was like, you know, um, uh, different um, kind of, um, I don't know, probably just there's probably like music or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they all, um, all the cells mutated differently depending Mm -hmm. on the environment. Right. And and you probably um, heard about how when you talk to plants, when you talk bad, like, you know, mm-hmm. to the sibling and then like, you know, it died. And then when you yeah. talk lovingly to the other sibling and it would turn out to be this beautiful plant, like yeah. it's so you got to change the environment that you're in. Mm-hmm. And when I was in Jakarta, I was living with my parents but I did change the environment that I was in. I minimized my contact with my parents Mm -hmm. and I was going out more with friends at that time. I was already teaching, um, for this English. Um, so it's like some kind of a company that sells English course, uh, English courses. Um, so there's like a lot of expats from Europe, Australia, and the U.S. And I would hang out with them a lot. I would go to their parties um, every weekend. And so, um, and also change my friends, mm-hmm. you know. So that so I created this completely different environment um, where I could kind of block out whatever, um, you know, um, I don't know, mood or like, you know, whatever air that <laughs> my parents are creating at home. Yeah. Um, but of course, like, you know, I still had to deal with like you know, all the trauma and sure. the trauma response that I was living in. Mm-hmm. But um, by changing my environment, I changed my aspiration. I changed the momentum of where I was going. Yeah. Right. And of course, there has to be some kind of an aspiration, like, you know, where did I want to go? And at that point, I wanted to I wanted to get a job 
overseas. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I got one in Thailand. <laughs> and yeah, and so I think um, it's the inner environment and the outer environment that I would suggest that you could change. Mm-hmm. You know, it could. Um, I don't know. I guess at that point, I I was not into spirituality, so I wasn't aware of um, you know the practice of gratitude. Sure. Um, but at this point, I do know that there's a lot of people who are probably overwhelmed and so easily triggered by uh, negativity of the environment and all that. But what I do first thing in the morning is to generate that joyful, happy energy when the world is asleep. So it could be me dancing or practicing yoga. And I would do something that gives myself the the most exhilaration. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy and I just, it just makes me smile, yeah. right? And um, that happy energy is what... Um, like armors me, you know, from say the news or when I go to work, um, like negative colleagues or road rage and, you know, all those things. But yeah, like you, you, you can, you have the capability of generating that happy energy and uh, with intention. um, And then you can then build your life, build your day, right? It's all day by day from that energy of love and happiness that you've created first thing in the morning. Mm. Um, I mean, that's something practical that I do. (laughs) I think it makes such a difference too. Like if you start your day hitting snooze, hitting snooze, hitting snooze, running behind, eating your breakfast and doing your makeup in your car on your way to work, like, I hate that environment because I feel like then I start my day stressed. Can I do it? Sure. Do I want to? Absolutely not. And so I actually set my alarm a little bit earlier than I need to so that I have the time to hit snooze because I know I'm not popping out of bed the instant the alarm goes off without Uh running behind and then take the time to, I like to read or to work out or whatever it is that I like to do to get myself set for the day. So that's good. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, I I completely understand um, for some people when you wake up to say a job that you don't like, you know, mm-hmm. which was me, right? Like school was punishing, my parents were punishing, my environment were punishing, like the mornings were so hard for me, it was so safe being in the bed. Mm-hmm. So I carried that energy through my teenagehood and adulthood, and then motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then like, you know, then I didn't like my job, it was mm-hmm. I couldn't wake up to that. But then when I changed it, stepping out of that hamster wheel right stepping out of that environment and create your own environment your inner environment um by doing something that gives you the most joy yeah and that's how you then rebuild your life Mm -hmm. and so say you know you take the same route to to work what about trying a different route Mm -hmm. like you know so if your routine when you get out of bed is looking at your phone what about not look at your phone for a little bit and jump on um, doing something that makes you the happiest? What is that? Yeah. Right. Um, and by doing that, you are nourishing yourself emotionally. Mm-hmm. And it's that emotional nourishment that actually um, gives you energy that inspires you to do, to do something, you know, to, to, to take uh, 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 let me see um, a, a step that is not normal mm. you know that's yeah. um, that is not what you normally would do sure. um, and who knows what that would be yeah but the first thing is prioritize your own joy generation mm. mm-hmm. that's good if that makes sense <laughs> yeah no, that does make a lot of sense and that's good I like your point too about just mixing it up even just a little bit like taking a different route to work. I know that I've got a route that I always take, like we all do. There was one day I went a different way and I was like, hey, this is actually faster. Ah, <laughs> there you go. Right? <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. What have I not yeah. asked you that you want to talk about? I said, oh, um, actually, 
I, I, I can't, I can't think of any. I mean, how about what, what you did last weekend? <laughs> <laughs> last weekend, I um did home renovation projects because I'm in the p- middle of selling my house. I went oh, wow. to a concert and then I played tourist in my own city to make sure that I've done all the cool things before I leave. Uh, that is amazing. How long do you have left in Minneapolis? So about a month. <gasps> wow. Oh, yeah. that's going to go by so quickly. It's and gonna it's going to go be so, so much fun in Austin. I'm so excited about wow. it, but it's going to be a project. Yeah. Wow. What a temperature difference. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know we were talking earlier about how you miss the Midwest winter. It, it might take me a couple years before I miss it, but I do think at some point I will miss it. Yeah, well, you can you can always go back. It's true, and I still have yeah. to here, so I'll come back and visit, and it'll be Christmas time and snowy. So, ah, uh, oh, how fun is that? But there's a lot of things going on in Austin, and I um have so there's a show that I really love on Netflix called Somebody Feed Phil. I don't okay. know if you're familiar I've with that. Yeah, it's like a food travel kind of yeah. show. Um, and this guy, Phil, he's so goofy and so funny and happy. Yeah. Um, and he would go to all these different places like Philadelphia yeah. or um, Portland. And then one of the places that he visited was Austin, Texas. Mm. And he was just like, you know, showing all these like beautiful barbecue stuff and like amazing food trucks. Like, yeah. oh my God, like I got to go to Austin right? <laughs> to try those things. Yeah. Everyone tells me, like, the food, the music, the culture scene is really great in Austin. So I'm looking forward to exploring that. I bet it's going to feel like a different country. I think you're right. (laughs) (laughs) So exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So I have one final question for you, then. Mm -hmm. Um, Because we're always learning here on the show, the whole point of the show is to create a culture of learning. What's something that you've learned recently? Oh my gosh, this just turned out, um, I mean, it just turned up yesterday morning. Um, during my morning routine, right, yeah. and I always have this audiobook playing, and it was Martha Beck's um, Finding Your North Star or North Star or something like that. Okay. But it's an excellent book, and I love Martha Beck because she's so funny, and even in her book. So this is what she said. So like you know backstory I was all I yeah I think I told you like you know how I grew up like you know how women are like repressed into like you know some kind of a mold and like you know what you should be and so it's like if I get out of the mold then oh yeah it's like you're asking for trouble Mm -hmm. and so I grew up with this idea that nobody was supporting me you know like everybody around me just wanted to see me lose Uh right like they they can't see me succeed because like if I succeed um I don't know I think I like I've always been a pariah anyway (laughs) right it's like um it's like whatever I did it was never good enough like and nobody supported me in whatever um pursuit that I was um you know whatever I was trying to do yeah and so I was listening to Martha Beck yesterday and um, one line that she was saying, instead of thinking what everybody would think about you when you do certain things, right? Because interestingly, everybody is just in your head. Hmm. What does, like, what, what will everybody think? Like, who is everybody? Sure. Right? But what if, what if um, you think about, like, everybody as people who want to see you win Mm. and that really hit home for me because of the way that I grew up um I I, my parents were never supportive Mm. um it's like no there was this time when I felt like oh I want to be a model and my mom was your nose is too big you can't be a model yeah right or yeah it's like you know stuff like that or or you eat too much or oh, you got mm. such a flat, like you know, you're you're so flat chested, or mm. like you know, all that kind of judgment. Yeah. Um, and so, like, okay, my everybody was really just my mom, <laughs> and she's not here. Yeah. But then it's like, what is everybody here? Like, mm. Everybody that's around me, uh, my friends, 
who are always supporting me, who are always cheering for me, and all these networking um, female. Yeah. Um, so I have this networking groups of you know female entrepreneurs, and they're amazing women who are always cheering each other. And I'm like in the middle of that. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, everybody around me actually wanted to see me win, and I couldn't see it because I was so yeah. attached sure. to um you know my past. Everybody, which is my mother, <laughs> right? Um, and so that was my biggest learning moment. Yeah. Um, I was able to detach that, you know, the negative everybody into this like, oh, no, I'm actually in an environment where everybody wants to see me win. Yeah. And so um, that was an emotional time for me. Yeah. But yeah, I thought that um, awesome. that might be something, you know, that I yeah. could share. And I hope yeah. that people let go of the idea of, what will everybody think? But right. what if everybody wants to see you win? Right. What if everybody wants to see you win? Oh, that's so good. I also love your question of like, who is everybody? Um, or one yeah. of my friends has a variation of that question. If I like, I'm saying something that's not positive about myself. She's like, who told you that? And I'm like, oh, who did tell me that? And sometimes it's exact words that I recognize from somebody negative, but sometimes it's just words that I have put on myself. And so taking that moment to go, oh, who did tell me that? And what is actually true? Mm, I love it. Yeah. Is that true? Oh, that mm-hmm. Byron Katie, if you're familiar yeah. with her work. Uh-huh. So whatever thought that you have that is self-defeating, mm-hmm. ask yourself, is that true? Is it absolutely really, really true? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then when you ask that thought, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, suddenly it's invalidated. and. Yeah. It's not so bad anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Power anymore. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Well, Jenny, thank <laughs> you so much for your time today. Thank you for trusting us with your abortion story and your life experiences. Thank you for um, educating us and inspiring us. I know I've got things that I want to go sit and process after our conversation. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me and allowing me to share this with you um it's always good to talk to you know a fellow podcaster i'm actually going to have a podcast myself tell Uh, me about that oh sure um so it's about i love storytelling Mm -hmm. um and what really inspires me is um generational and ancestral stories Mm -hmm. of how we get where we are And I was always fascinated by the story of how my grandparents got to Indonesia. Oh, sure. Right? And they escaped famine. Mm -hmm. um, And then they went through some, like, you know, revel, like, whatever, civil war and revolution, you know, like in Indonesia. And then they came out victorious anyway. Mm -hmm. So that was amazing. And I have heard of, like, other stories, immigration stories of uh, my friends were Polish or Irish and wow they're also fascinating um and that's uh so I don't actually know uh you know what the theme is supposed to be but I just want that to be like um stories of humans really and how they how life becomes but I think the first episode, the first few episodes, I'm going to focus on immigration stories Mm. of like, okay, so Russian and Irish, like, okay, what's the background? Like, how did the Russian uh, predecessors or ancestors, like, you know, Mm -hmm. come about? And like, you know, how did they meet? And um, I think that would be so fascinating, right? It's like all the ups and downs that they've gone through Mm -hmm. and where they are. Yeah. And honestly, another thing to learn is that, okay, there have been a lot of trauma. And that is also like, you know, what I want to express in the podcast. Yeah. I've gone through a lot of trauma, but um, from my upbringing, but mm-hmm. my parents did not know better mm-hmm. because they were raised that way too. Yeah. And the previous generation too, because yeah. there was like so much pressure and so much trauma from like, you know, po- like probably politically, you know, right? And there was famine and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the idea is that, you know, like with them coming over to a better place, to a better environment for the next generation is so that we could live the life that they dream of, mm-hmm. right? And 
we are the evolved version of the previous generation. Yeah. Um, and there's like you know, all this thing about forgiving and forgiveness, but you know what? Maybe there's nothing to forgive because we're living right now. We're living the life that they manifested mm-hmm. for us, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so that's the message of uh, the podcast. And I yeah. think the story, you know, from the different parts of the world would uh-huh. be so fascinating to learn. So yeah, yeah. that's what it's going to be about. Does it exist yet? <laughs> I actually, I'm going to have my first guest next week. Nice. I'm just starting recording. Awesome. Yeah. Well, when it exists, you better send me a link because I want to listen to it. I will. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome. Cool. Thank you for yeah. your curiosity. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else we want to say before I stop the recording? Um, No, not really, unless you have any other questions. I don't, I mean, I'm sure we could ask questions all day, but I think we've covered it. <laughs> Yeah, we've covered a lot, haven't we? We have. Awesome. Yeah. As always, a big thanks for listening. I hope there was something in hearing Jenny's story that made you think. Maybe you felt challenged. Maybe you heard something you've never thought about before. Maybe you're a little bit different because you've heard her perspective. That's what Have Hope Will Travel is all about. To hear different perspectives, to grow, to change, to better understand how others see the world. We are closing in on 100 episodes. I cannot believe that. How do you think we should celebrate? Let me know your thoughts. Send them to me on Instagram at katieaxelson or send me an email, katie at katieaxelson.com. Until then, my friend, know that you are loved, know that you are cherished, know that you are valuable, know that your story matters. We will see you again soon. Have a great day. Bye-bye.